Hey everyone, my name is Carly Ann, and I'm a health and wellness enthusiast who dropped out of grad school to travel the world and discover my real passion and desire for helping others. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm kind of just figuring it out as I go. I'm on an ever-evolving journey that is often messy, unsure, and a bit crazy at times, but I am choosing crazy over easy. Throughout each episode, I hope you find yourself inspired and motivated to love the journey you are on while also learning to appreciate when things feel like somewhat of a hot mess. Thanks again for tuning in. I am your host, Carly Ann, and this is the Crazy Over Easy Podcast. And welcome back to the Crazy Over Easy podcast. As always, I am so excited to have you back. Thankful for all of you. You are so wonderful. Today, we are going to jump right into an amazing interview I have lined up for you. I'm really excited about today's topic because this is definitely something I still struggle with. I'm always looking for advice and further knowledge on this topic. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with an incredible human who I've looked up to for quite some time now. Mm. She's probably unknowingly helped me dive deeper into not only my personal mindset journey and how I perceive myself both emotionally and physically, but she's also a certified eating psychologist coach with I just find that to be so interesting. She also has an incredible team of individuals that help her create all of her programs, which I, I love. I think, you know, having other women to men and women to help us just further our, our reach and education is so wonderful. And she also is the host of the Dear Body podcast, which that name alone just, I absolutely love. So we'll dive into all this. We'll unpack it so much more in this episode. But without further ado, I would love to introduce my good friend, Jesse Jean. Mm, thank you so much for having me, Carly. I am so excited to be here and to connect and hopefully hopefully encourage your audience on all things related to confidence and overcoming struggles with food, whether that's binge eating or emotional eating or compulsive overeating or just dealing with food anxiety because so many individuals struggle with this and it's a silent it's a silent a silent struggle and it's embarrassing and it's shameful and so I'm always grateful for the opportunity to speak to speak on these topics. So thank you for having me on. No, I love it. And I love that you actually said silent struggle because it's so true, right? We just sit in our head with it and we, we don't think that it's okay to share. We don't think it's okay to reach out for help. Um, and I think sometimes we don't know how to, we don't know how to process those emotions that we're feeling towards something we're experiencing. So I love that you, you know, you use that topic. So Mm. before we dive into, you know, the unpacking all of today's topic. Could you give my wonderful girls a little bit of an intro of yourself and how you kind of got to where you are today and any amazing information that they can learn from you from just the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. So I struggled with my relationship with food. I like to start here because this is what I'm most passionate about. I struggled with my relationship with food for over a decade and it transformed. It looked like a lot of different things. I was never clinically diagnosed with an eating disorder. And I think a lot of individuals who struggle with their relationship with food. They wonder, do I have an eating disorder? They've never been diagnosed. The majority of people aren't diagnosed. Um, I was never, I was never clinically diagnosed. Um, however, for over a decade of my life, I struggled silently with, um, binge eating and overeating and emotional eating. And sometimes I would dip my toes in, you know, deep, deep restriction. And I tried to purge for a while. I would take laxative to laxatives to try and lose the weight, all these things. I was stuck in these cycles 
cycles of self-sabotage. It was exhausting. It tore down and broke away at, it kind of chipped away at my feelings of self-confidence and self-belief and self-worth. And it was, it was something that at one point at my lowest point, when I was in college, I questioned if life was even worth it. And that was a scary place for me to be because I'm a happy, go lucky, bubbly girl. I've got great family, great friends. And to get to that place in my own head, because I was so exhausted from the ping ponging thoughts of, should I eat? Should I not eat? Oh my gosh, should I eat too much? Thinking about, do I need to work out more for what I just did? Always picking apart my body, never feeling good enough. It was, it was just this tornado of chaos in my mind. I was always thinking about food or my weight or my body, whether it was in the forefront of my mind or in the back of my mind. And I remember looking around and nobody in my life knew. I mean, I was, I was excelling in, you know, in my studies, I had friends, I had family, like nobody knew what was going on behind the scenes. Um, and it was embarrassing. It was shameful. I felt, I felt, um, very, very small in, in terms of my self-confidence. I didn't have any, I was dealing with this painstaking insecurity, feeling like what the heck is wrong with me? And I felt very crazy. And so I did everything in my power to try and navigate my way out of it. I mustered up every dime I could put together when I was a broke college kid to put myself into therapy, to start trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And I went to years of therapy with no success in stopping these behaviors with food, the binging, the overeating, the sneaking food, the, you know, doing weird things where I would chew food and spit it out or hide wrappers at the bottom of the trash can or sneak when people weren't around because I was embarrassed to eat in front of them. I was trying to find relief from this. I was trying to change my behaviors, but I, I, I wasn't getting anywhere. And so I started going to Overeaters Anonymous, which is a 12 step program. It's, um, derived from, yeah. I've never even heard of that. Yes. It's derived from Alcoholics Anonymous. So same thing, 12 step meetings, they're all over the country. Um, and I thought that would be the thing to help me. And I went to that for years in college and further continued to struggle with these weird tendencies with food. So then eventually I thought, you know, I think getting deep into the fitness industry is going to help solve my problems. Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> right? Do I reflect now or later? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought, well, there's no greater pressure than the pressure to get in a bikini and stand on a stage in front of everybody. That will surely help me get disciplined <laughs> with food and my workout routine enough so, so I can finally get into a body that I feel comfortable in. So I went down that rabbit hole for years. I ended up competing, earning my pro status, doing, doing all the things that I thought were going to lead me to find peace with food in my body. And it only exacerbated my struggles with food to the point where it was so intense that you know, I would, I would do these competitions. I would get down to, you know, uh, to the point where I was nearly emaciated and hardly had energy to walk. And, um, and after my competitions, I would end up binging. I would snap and I would spiral out of control and gain all of the weight I had worked so hard to lose back in a very short amount of time. And it, again, I just felt crazy. So I went on to, um, to continue to try and figure out what to do. And it took me down another rabbit hole. And this rabbit hole was, um, understanding the neuroscience of behavior change. And I became obsessed with understanding the brain and understanding how we reprogram our, our behaviors. 
And what led me down this path was understanding my struggles with food in light of addiction. I was actually looking into and studying addiction because we have a history of addiction in our family. And I was trying to help some of my family members. When I started to read some of these research articles and these books on addiction, what they were explaining was resonating so deep in my own personal struggles even though they were talking about drugs and alcohol abuse, I was like, I get what these people are feeling. Like I'm yeah. the way they're describing the, their mind and this, these impulses to do these things with drugs and alcohol, I, I insert food and I feel like I'm right there with them. And so that led me down a path of looking at my struggles with food in light of addiction, which then took me to to understanding neuroscience. And that I went on to become certified from the Institute for the Psychology of Eating t- to, to learn more. And eventually I was pulling threads and I was understanding techniques and tools that actually began changing my behaviors with food in a way I had never experienced in my years of therapy and Overeaters Anonymous. And so eventually I got to this point where no longer was I feeling the impulse and the urge to binge or overeat. I no longer had to live off a meal plan or counting macros. I was able to eat intuitively, easily, and effortlessly without spiraling out of control and be in a body that I felt really comfortable in without excessive effort. Like it was, it just, yeah. And so I got to this point and felt like it's my moral obligation to help other women who are struggling. And that's when I went on to create my program. Oh my gosh. I feel like, I mean, I obviously knew you and I have chatted prior to this and I feel like I can resonate with so much of that, but it also makes me sad. You know, it makes me sad to know that I can resonate with so much of that and, and listen. So a couple questions when you, cause I think a lot of my a lot of my girls, I don't think I've gone to the extent you and I have with competing, but yeah. we've I think a lot of us can resonate. Journeys can be different, but we can resonate with one another of trying to be that smallest version of yourself, right? Totally. So when you were at that smallest version of yourself, were you happy? You know, that's so funny. I thought that was going to be the thing that yeah. would make me happy. And I thought I thought for sure that would be the point where this magic sense of confidence would unlock for me. Mm-hmm. And I got to that point and I wasn't good enough. So I, I had lost all this weight and I still didn't feel good enough. So then I was like, well, I, I need to get breast implants because that's the reason I got to this weight loss point, but still don't feel oh, good gosh. enough. Yeah. So then I got breast implants and still didn't feel good enough. So I felt like I needed to compete again and I needed to do better. And it was just this vicious cycle of never feeling enough. Yeah. You know, it's, and my girls know, I sadly have um, valued myself a lot on aesthetics and on my size. I mean, I think it's very common with women. I think it's common in today's society. Um, I do think that my journey through pregnancy has definitely, fortunately, helped me see things differently. But (laughs) who knows what that postpartum part of my journey will be like, right? It's going to be a whole new season, all of that. But it's so crazy to hear you say these things because I too, I just thought that going to the extremes of being what, what I assumed other people wanted, right? Like that smallest version of yourself, having the abs, having somewhat of a glute, if you can hang on to anything when you're that tiny, <laughs> right. but just, you know, I thought it was an image. I thought that was what, uphold, what upheld my value. I didn't think about my mind, my heart, my empathy, my you know, empathetic side of myself. I didn't think about any of this. It was just, oh, once I'm this size, there's validation, right? Mm-hmm. There's the validation comes, the support comes, the appreciation for me as a, as a coach within the fitness industry, whatever it is. And it's so sad to, you know, then go back to like what you said, it's that silent struggle of just, 
it's so not fulfilling and it's mm. so, you know, it leads you down other rabbit holes. So what was it this time around where you're like, okay, I want to learn more about the the neurological side of this. Cause I feel like, you know, you, we, like you were saying it is a vicious cycle, but what finally snapped for you mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, enough is enough. And I need to, you, cause I, I think I've struggled with, I get to that point of enough is enough, but it, for me, it genuinely, it wasn't until I was like, okay, I want to make a human. I can't mm-hmm. with the way that I'm treating my body. Sure. So that was my enough is enough. But even still it was a battle until I became pregnant. And then obviously I had you know, struggles. We had the miscarriage, all of that. So yeah, I think everybody's quote unquote enough is enough is different, but I love that you dove into it to go into the neurological side, not the next meal plan or not the next diet. So what did that look like? What was that for you? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's, like you said, everybody's kind of point of, I need to do something different is it's unique. And for me, it was, I, I did have a thought which actually prompted my insatiable desire to change when I was in college. And that thought was, I cannot pass this struggle down onto my future children. If I do not do something to to figure this out, to take care of this, I am going to end up passing this down and I wouldn't be able to live with myself. And I had that fear like well up in me. And that was years and years and years before I found freedom, but it lit a fire in me that knew I had to figure it out. And so I went down all these rabbit holes of therapy and overeaters anonymous and competing. And I, I still didn't find the answer, but that thing was always, and I'm not yet a mother. I want to be one day, but that, that has always been in in the depth of my soul. Cause I grew up um, in a household where my mom struggled with alcoholism and, you know, I, I don't blame my struggles with food on her, but I know there was an impact there of a need for control. Cause I couldn't mm-hmm. control that. And so I just tried to control food and then that ended up spiraling out of control. And so I knew that if I didn't, if I didn't figure this out, I have the potential of passing something on to my future children. And I, I didn't think I could even live with myself if I did yeah. that. And so that's kind of always been an underlying motive for me to figure things out so that I don't leave it up to my future kids to have to do that. And so when it was, um, what got me interested in really diving into the neuroscience was, um, I got to a point where when I went from a, a meal plan and calorie counting to understanding macro tracking and flexible dieting. I don't know about you, but for me, that felt like I had just hit the jackpot and I had found freedom. Like I had never known before. It was Absolutely. like, are you kidding me? Like yeah. you're telling me I can eat whatever I want. And, and as long as it fits within my macros, it was, I mean, that was bliss for me until it was a massive chore. Yeah. And so it got to this point where no longer was it bliss and joy. It was very cumbersome. It was taking up so much mental energy. It was, you know, I I couldn't just go on spontaneous date nights because I had to make sure that I knew how many macros I had and what I could have. And it was just, it was, it was good for a season until it, it wasn't until I longed for more freedom. Yeah. So that was really the point for me. It's so it's so crazy you bring up a date night because it was really sad when Casey, and at this point, he was my husband, okay? So we'd gone through dating. And granted, when we worked in Club Med, 
lifestyle was different. I did hadn't fallen into the macro side of things yet. It was more still restriction over training and the binge cycle, right? Like I never, I never purged, but it was still that, okay, I restricted all day. The drinking or the meal that happens tonight doesn't matter. But it mm-hmm. wasn't until we were married and I was no longer competing. He knew that I was loosely tracking, but also not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a Friday after work and he called me. He's like, hey, do you want to meet me up at this restaurant in our hometown? It's a little Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. And grab dinner. And I was like, yeah, I would love that. We went up. I love tequila. We had a couple mm-hmm. drinks, had some tacos and came home. And Jesse, he literally said, he's like, he calls me champ. He was like, champ, mm-hmm. do you realize that's the first time I've ever been able to ask you in a spontaneous way to meet me for dinner? And mm-hmm. it was like, it made me so sad, but it also made me excited because I realized I had gone past a barrier that I hadn't let myself do before. And that was something that I was just like, oh my gosh, my husband, right? Like this man who I've been dating for six years, who we went through so much stuff together, felt like that was the first time he could call me randomly to meet him in his work attire to just go Mm -hmm. grab some tacos and a couple tequilas. Like it just broke me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so sad that I've never allowed myself. And he never felt, he always knew that the next meal was planned. So he was so respectful of my goals and whether or not I was trying to be the smallest version of myself at the time, it's still a control matter, right? It's still something that we like to control. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. This has been, you know, six and a half years, basically, you know, minus the few years of travel and whatnot. But again, those were not healthy cycles. Those were more of just unhealthy cycles in my life. And it was just shocking to have him bring it up to me. I was like, oh, it's one thing for me to make that realization. But for him, I was like, oh, I don't know if I should be embarrassed or, you know, or what, but that was... It's just something that is automatic. Like you're just, when you're in it, you're in it and you don't, and until you have a moment like that, or until you, you know, grow in your self-awareness, it's just, it's just who you are and you, and there's no problem with it. And you might not see how it's impacting other people in your life. And so when we have those moments like that, where it really just hits us, it, it can, you know, it, it can rock you to your core. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I love that we've given them, you know, this bit of a background, but I'm definitely excited kind of about the the core of this topic again. Yes. <laughs> these are things that I've personally struggled with. And so I know we've chatted about, I would love for you to unpack for us, you know, what is actually happening in the brain when we struggle with these compulsive tendencies surrounding food? And then you keep bringing up confidence that I think that I'm just mm-hmm. like, I want to just yes. absorb it like I'm a sponge because yes. to have what you call, you know, unshakable confidence, that is something I would love because I don't know if it's something where almost as though I've not, I, I was, when it comes to confidence, I feel like, oh, well, I haven't done enough or I'm not of enough value to deserve that feeling of unshakable mm-hmm. confidence, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, it's, I can feel right. confidence. I can exude confidence. Thankfully, I'm a person that I'm not very good at being disingenuous. So mm-hmm. if I'm lacking confidence in a situation or, you know, feeling like I kind of have to hide myself a bit because I'm not comfortable with my, in my skin or with the situation I'm in. I'm not good at faking it. So I I appreciate that about myself, but I would love to be able to just have that unshakable confidence, but I would love to hear initially what the heck is going on in our brain when it, you know, when it comes to these compulsive eating tendencies, whether it's binging, whether it's restricting. So if you could help us and unpack that, I would love that. Yes, absolutely. So I get a lot of individuals on my Instagram or when they come from the podcast, they'll reach out and they'll say, I don't, you know, I don't know if I really have 
an eating disorder or, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm dealing with here. And first I want to start here and just break it down. First, labeling ourselves, anything that we don't want is very harmful. And we see this, we see it in the research. So if you don't want to have a, a disorder, if you don't want to embody the identity of a binge eater, then let's not even label ourselves that because that's really not who you are at your core. Our bodies are designed to regulate naturally and effortlessly and easily. Your body is designed and has the capacity to keep you at a healthy and you know beautiful weight for your body without constant efforting and striving and controlling, but we don't trust our body. And so we get, we, we get out of its natural rhythm because we start controlling things. And so to understand if you even have unhealthy tendencies in your relationship with food, I like to go over a few questions. If you can answer yes to any of the following questions, there's probably an opportunity for increased levels of freedom and ease in your relationship with food if you learn how to work in sync with the brain. So the first question being, do I ever feel a sense of a loss of control? Like I intellectually know what I want to do, But there's this piece of me that feels this impulse, this compulsion to do something with food anyway that later I feel guilt and shame for. Do I ever feel anxious with food or anxious about how my body looks? Do I sometimes avoid social events for fear of spiraling out of control? Do I sometimes feel guilt and shame for what I ate? Do I think about the nutritional value of food a lot, like a lot. Does that occupy a lot of my mental energy? Do I contemplate what I ate that day later in the day over and over to determine what I'm allowed to eat the rest of the day? Do I, do I feel overwhelmed in the presence of a large amount of food? Do I feel nervous that I'm going to do things that I'm later going to regret? So these are just some of the questions. Do I ever eat to um, to numb emotions? So if you can answer yes to any of those questions, here's the reality. There is an opportunity for you to experience so much more freedom. If you learn how to work in sync with the brain and retrain the brain in terms of how it relates to food and your body. So I think that helps demystify these terms like binge eating and overeating and emotional eating yeah. and eating disorder. So and that's, you know, it's yeah. so interesting because I, and like you said at the beginning, I've never been, I never at some one point was diagnosed with right. disordered eating or anxiety or, you know, any, I've never, I've never been professionally diagnosed. I've gone mm-hmm. to therapy, all of that. However, I 100% could say that I've had disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love that you, you know, I always talk about titles and these hats that we put on throughout life. And usually it's in the sense of, jobs or careers or education or something. But I think we also overlook the fact that these are also titles we place on ourselves. These are also yes. hats that we wear around. You know, I am depressed versus I have depression or or whatnot. And I think sometimes we don't allow us, like you said, we, we title it that way and we allow ourselves to go about our day living with that title. And so that in itself, I think, is such a big moment of relief to be like, oh, that can be kind of like a rock on the side of my garden, but it doesn't have to be defining me or doesn't have to be who I am. And I think that's so powerful to make that be the first step, you know, remove that title, remove that that defining thing that you you place upon yourself or a therapist has placed upon you. Um, I think that's very empowering, but it's also sad to hear those questions and I'm like, 
I can probably say no to two of them. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, totally. And I'm, I'm in a like I, 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 I think, and I feel that I'm in such a better place than I ever was. But those moments of of weakness, or those moments of the that struggling mindset, they're still there. Like it's, this has been a you know, 15 year ordeal for me. I'm not, I, I can't expect it to go away within nine months of pregnancy. Right. When all of a sudden now I'm experiencing a different journey, um, a different appreciation for my body, but gosh, just hearing those questions, I'm just like, how do you rewire? Where do you even start? Totally. I I didn't know what I would do. Yeah. And it's, it can feel scary and overwhelming. If you, some, some of you listening might've answered yes to all of those questions and you, Mm -hmm. and it feels like this heavy weight. Here's the really good news. I was recently um, interviewed on Dr. Caroline Leaf's podcast. She is a neuroscientist and she was talking about how sometimes we, we like, we overcomplicate this and we feel lost and crazy in our own brain. But if we can understand that there's techniques, there's tools that can help us retrain how the brain functions and our brain functions the way it functions because of habituation. So you do think you do something once and then you do it again and then you do it again and then you do it again. And, and researchers believe that upwards of 90 plus percent of our thoughts on a day-to-day basis are repetitive. And so you do something once and then you repeat it over and over and over again. That's how you create neural pathways. So if, if something happened in your life or you didn't feel good enough, so you decided to diet, which then triggered the which triggered your body to send you signals to eat because you're hungry when you're dieting. Um, and then you avoided eating and you restricted and you kept restricting and you kept restricting and then you snapped and you binged and that binge gave you a moment or that overeating gave you a moment of relief. The brain's reward center lit up. And so when that brain's reward center lights up and goes, hallelujah, that was really good. Thank you for feeding me. The brain is hardwired to move us towards pleasure and away from pain. And so, and it doesn't know the difference between pain that is self-sabotaging and pain that's actually productive for us. And so it just says, wow, I got a hit of dopamine. I got a hit of all these feel-good hormones. I got a feeling of euphoria when my human just overate or binged or whatever it was. So let's remember that and let's do that again. And so that's when we start to have these, these impulses that rise up in us. And sometimes, I I don't know about you, but I had experiences where sometimes it felt like they came out of nowhere. Like, I'm full. Like, physically, I'm full. Why do I feel like I need to keep eating? Oh, absolutely. And that can be maddening, right? It's like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Or that thought that you always have to have something after dinner because it's a sense of – is, you know, it's a sense of that was taken away from me for so long. Like I need to make sure I can still get this. It's just this weird obsession around food and you plan your day around it and – it's consuming. Consuming. 100%. Yeah. Like I, I have to do this or I can't eat till then, or I'm, I've always got to have this thing after I eat this thing or whatever it is. It's exhausting. And what happens in the brain is when, when we start these cycles and then we repeat these cycles of binging and then feeling guilt and shame and restricting the brain wires in, we can just call a neural pathway. We can just call it a habit pathway. So it remembers the way that you felt and the way that, you know, this binging or this overeating lit up your brain's reward center. And so, you know, the next day, this, the next day you're in that same situation where you're restricting or you're having similar thoughts or, or shame around your body or guilt around your body. And it remembers, oh yeah, the last time I felt this, I got relief 
When I binge, I got a feeling of euphoria and pleasure. That's what we should do because our brain, our body doesn't like to be in negative head spaces or in a state of physical restriction through dieting. It doesn't enjoy that. So it's then longing for that feeling of euphoria. And I was so, just going to ask, yeah. how come it doesn't remember that feeling of guilt? You know, how come that can't train you? But like you just said, that's a sense of negativity. There's no reward there. So exactly. The brain I, is, yeah, that's fast. I, just because for me, I'm like, gosh, you know, I tell my girls sometimes, think ahead. Like, are you going to feel guilty after that? Because a lot of us do struggle with that guilt. So then I'm telling myself like, why the heck doesn't my brain remember that? But that makes total sense. It's not a state of euphoria. It's not a state of reward. So why would my brain remember a feeling of guilt when it can remember reward? 100%. And a a much better way to motivate individuals, this has been proven in the research, is we are far more motivated by positive reinforcement and a a vision for the future, a vision of excitement, a vision of pleasure than we are motivated to, you know, stay away from pain. And so so even when it comes to health and wellness coaching, if instead of of motivating individuals by remember remember how guilty this makes you feel, it's like, remember how awesome it's going to feel when X, Y, and Z happens, or when you, you know, when you take care of yourself through movement and proper nutrition. And so anyways, it's the brain is, the brain is well-intentioned, but misguided. And so we have to learn how to work in sync with it. And the way that we break through these repetitive patterns is by creating pattern interrupts. So if 90 plus percent of our, our thoughts on a day-to-day basis are repetitive, we have to start getting, taking the reins back over our brain and our thoughts and start interrupting those patterns because our thoughts, just the sentences that run through our head on a day-to-day basis, they are influencing not only our emotions, but how we feel. And here's a really cool example so of how powerful the brain is. So everybody listening, if you want to do this activity with us, um, it's pretty powerful. So I'm going to do it with you, Carly. Imagine that imagine, hold your hand out in front of you, flat in front of you. And imagine I place half of a big juicy lemon in your hand, a big yellow juicy lemon. What I want you to do is I want you to squeeze that lemon a little bit. I want you to feel it. I want you to bring it up to your face, close to your nose. I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose. Just smell that juicy lemon smell, that citrus smell. And then I want you to take a big bite. Imagine taking a big bite out of that lemon. Mm. Is your mouth, are you, who's, who's salivating? I have that little, those feelings behind my ears, you know, that like sour, (laughs) right? So, okay. Your, your body just responded to a thought like your body, physiology, your, your biology just responded to a simple thought of biting into a lemon. You felt tingling in maybe in your jaw, maybe some of you elevated. (laughs) Yeah. And yet we don't think our thoughts are a problem. It's like, yeah. yeah, I have, I have, you know, shitty self-sabotaging thoughts, but you know, whatever, I should be able to control my behaviors. Well, if it's that simple for our body to f- physically respond to a thought, we have to start taking control of the thoughts because they're controlling, they're influencing the impulses we feel. So, Absolutely. And this is a technique called mental collaboration. If we are unwilling to learn how to start controlling what's going on with our thoughts, then we're white knuckling our behaviors and, and not working in sync with our brain. When we, when we white knuckle our behaviors, we end up fatiguing 
because we that's not how we're designed to function. Willpower is supposed to be a backup plan when all else fails in our life. People who depend on willpower to get them through each day, they fatigue regularly and they snap. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I feel like sometimes you just, you... I guess positive reinforcement comes at the end of the day when you haven't overeaten or when you haven't Mm -hmm. sabotaged that, you know, that goal that you have. Like it's, it's something that almost you're, you're trying to check off the days, if that makes sense to be like from a food standpoint, right? Not even from like a to-do list from a, did I make it through today? Quote unquote successfully. And that's something that's so draining. And it's, you almost have to wait until you're sliding into bed because who knows what the heck you're going to grab in the pantry before that. Mm -hmm. So it's so that's, so is this something, and again, like obviously this is probably something you offer through your coaching. Mm -hmm. Are these part of the steps that you would initially start with? Like, do you start with that mindset, that, you know, mental neurological side of it prior to working into the confidence aspect of it? Or Mm -hmm. how does that look from a, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be like, go into your website right after this and be like, okay, (laughs) sign me up. Because like you said, I don't want to pass this on to my little one. And and it's, it's something for me to tell myself, okay, Carly, you're doing so much better through pregnancy. You have this quote unquote food freedom, but do I, Do I, or am I just like, oh, the roles aren't there right now because it's a solid, (laughs) a solid thing. So it's, you know, we do, I think when I see the reflection in that mirror sometimes or how the clothes fit. And again, with quarantine, I haven't been putting on to any clothes that I need to really check in with. So it's like, I want this. I want this for myself. I want this for my future kiddo. I want this for my home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want this to also educate myself to help my my girls, you know? And so is this Mm -hmm. like the, well, I guess what would the process look like from a coaching perspective or how you would go about starting this off? You know, I, even right there, that was one tiny technique and it's like my mouth salivating, I'm reacting. From a coaching perspective, is this where you would start prior to moving into the confidence aspect of things? Yeah, great question. <clears throat> and excuse me, yes. So the steps to retrain the brain. It's a multidimensional process and it for it doesn't unfold in a sequential order for every single person. The way that it kind of works is like putting together a puzzle. There are some steps that make sense just like to do first, just like outlining the border of a puzzle. It makes sense to kind of start there. But when you're putting together the rest of the puzzle, sometimes you're over here in the top right corner because you have all the blue puzzle pieces. And then sometimes you're moving down, you know, to the left side of the puzzle. So there is a, a rhyme and a reason to outlining the border to starting with certain steps, but then it's very much so like dependent on where you're at in your relationship with food and and your body. We offer a variety of techniques and tools in the course that might be more applicable based on where you're at in what season you're in. So when it comes to the confidence component, there's, there's a number of these tools that we teach our women and we teach kind of the science of what's going on in the brain. Because for me, that was that was pivotal understanding yeah. why I was the doing why. what I was doing. Yeah, yes, the why. exactly. The why. And that's what I didn't get in therapy. Therapy was therapeutic. And I am a believer in therapy. My husband and I are in, we've been in couples counseling for years. We love it. Um, it's very preventative for us. But yeah. when I was in, in therapy for my eating disorder or my struggles with food, um, I, it, it was very um, ambiguous. It was kind of, it was therapeutic in the sense we were talking about childhood wounds and we were talking about, you know, just uh, emotional things. But when it comes to healing this struggle with food, it's, 
multidimensional in that it is emotional. We need emotional support and we need to understand our emotions and how they work, but it's also neurological. It's also, um, it's also like very, very mental. It's also physical in nature. And so we have to tackle it with tools that address all of those things. So when, when you come into the course, kind of the process is we teach you the science behind why you're doing what you're doing, which helps reduce anxiety around it. When you start to understand kind of what you're, what you're facing. And then we give you the tangible tools on uh, things that you can do on a day-to-day basis. What do I do first thing in the morning when my mind is most susceptible to influence and change? How do I train my mind during that time of the day? And then what do I do when I'm feeling the impulse to, you know, overeat after I've already finished a meal and I'm physically full? How do I navigate those moments? What do I do when I'm getting dressed and I'm starting to feel those, you know, those creeping up thoughts, those habitual thoughts that are tearing me down, making me feel insecure in my body because these jeans are tight or this dress isn't fitting the way that it used to. What do I do in those moments? What do I do in the moment when I'm getting ready to plan a trip and I'm getting this anxiety about, should I pack this food or am I going to be able to maintain balance if I don't pack food or am I going to fly off the handle with the screw up mentality? So we then give you these tangible techniques and tools, but the confidence portion of this is something that we need to tackle simultaneously because when you dig through all of the layers of our struggles with food, when we get to the core of what it really is, it's really a worthiness issue. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel enough. I don't feel safe in this body. So I have to do something to change it. And I have to control food. I have to control my body because I don't feel enough. I don't feel safe. And the core of our fundamental human need is to be loved, to be safe, to feel connected. So we have to work on the confidence component and start rebuilding the the worthiness. And it's a process building, building confidence is 100% a process and a practice. Yeah. Do you, um, I heard from, um, Jenna Kutcher once said Mm -hmm. uh, confidence is a daily choice. Mm. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. I believe that it is, confidence is a choice, but confidence is also a practice and it's a muscle that is built over time. And we become, yeah, we develop resilience. So Lindsay and Lexi Kite, they are the creators of Beauty Redefined. And I recently collabed with them. They have their PhDs and um, have studied, they're basically body image experts. They studied body image in college and they're, they're fantastic individuals. And they, um, they talk about how building confidence is about building resilience to our inner critic and external pressures. So the more that we can, we can practice building this resilience and withstanding the pressure that we're facing from our own self and from, you know, from the media, from unrealistic expectations that, you know, society places on us, we will in turn be standing in greater confidence on a day-to-day basis. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's, I just, it makes me sad how much um, I don't know if it's how much or how easily so many of us are impacted um, by social media, by exterior sources. You know, I have this discussion with my mom all the time because mm-hmm. I think, you know, we learn a lot from our home and our up- upbringing, all of that. But, 
you know, they didn't have social media yet. They still had these struggles. Like this is something that has just been ingrained in generation after generation. But now I do feel like we are overstimulated with these things and image has just become so, I don't want to, I don't know if it's like obsessive within the society or what, but it's just so sad that, and maybe I'm being more hyper aware of it because I do have a kiddo coming into the world and it's just, I'm nervous for the things I struggled with that really impacted relationships, impacted my education, my choices in life, you know, the directions I went in life. And it just comes all down to, yeah, like you said, that worthiness, like, well, am I worthy of that degree? Am I worthy of that job title? Like mm-hmm. that's, it. you know, it's so much further than just, am I worthy of that confidence? So it's mm-hmm. just something that, gosh, you know, I don't know. It's just so, I'm mind blown by all of this. I feel like I just want to soak it all in. Totally. Um, so through all of these steps and processes, <laughs> let's say you, I mean, life's hard right now, right? Like there's a lot of change going on. So do you also address when life does get crazy and while life does get hard, are there, and you know, things throw you for a loop, additional stresses. Like, do you have steps or actions that you take mm-hmm. to get back into that neurological place or get back into that state of confidence? Like, you know, you have the puzzle. Yeah. Are there steps like when a puzzle piece goes missing or when a puzzle piece gets, you know, yeah. disarrayed? Like, are there things that you can, like tools we can use to yeah. find our way back? Yes, 100%. And I am all about the tangible techniques, the tools and, and, things that we can actually do. It's very frustrating to learn about, you know, the struggles with food and body and, and here, you know, there's a growing movement, especially on social media right now with individuals promoting balance and promoting a healthy relationship with food. And that's a beautiful thing, but I think it's very frustrating for those who are really in the weeds because Mm -hmm. it all sounds good, but what do I do? (laughs) Right. Like what do I actually do? Yes. And that's the thing I always say is I think that was my passion behind starting the podcast is I want to hear what does it look like from point A to point B. Once mm-hmm. you get from to point B, great, awesome. I want to hear your your knowledge, but I'm stuck. You know, it's like yeah. how, how help me yes. show me and teach me what that what that looks like to even make point B attainable so that point C can show up. Because, like you said, girlfriend, I'm in the weeds. You know, it's yes. like how, how do I get out? What are exactly what's something tangible? So, yeah, that's totally. that's where I'm at. So this is, we teach 10 different tools inside the Food Freedom Online program. This is one of the very first ones that I teach because there is more research that has been done on this healing modality um, than, than almost any other healing modality. And the very first, the very, very, very first tool and technique we teach is the power of a morning routine and meditation, specifically the way that we do it. So why is a morning routine so imperative? Why is meditation so imperative? So first off, when we're thinking about these struggles with food and body on a neurological sense and these habit pathways that feel very automatic when we're thinking about this struggle being very impulsive in nature, we have to learn how to reduce this internal impulsivity. And one of the ways that we do that is through capitalizing on the time of day that the brain is most susceptible to influence. So first thing when you wake up and right before you go to bed. So we do these different um, sleep, nighttime hypnosis, guided hypnosis. Um, there are audios that you listen to, but in the morning, we we focus on capitalizing on that time of the day through a, a guided morning routine and a meditation. So, so 
the brain right in between when you're fully awake and when you're asleep, that that time between that kind of groggy time when you're waking up and before your brain's fully online, the brain isn't, um, it's, it's most open, it's most willing to receive, and it's most able to be influenced. And what most people do is they grab their alarm, they hit snooze 10 times, and then they hop on email, they hop on social media, and they are missing out on what I call the magic of the morning. And yeah. so if we can learn to be disciplined and not go for social media and our phone first thing in the morning and capitalize on that first hour, that first 30 minutes, that first 10, 15 minutes of awake time, it is, it's like a cheat code. And so what happens when we meditate and I do a free, um, I'm, I believe in, in the power of a morning routine so much that for the last four or five months now, I've been hosting a free, um, morning routine challenge where I go live every single morning and do a specific guided meditation around food and body inside of our Facebook group. And I can share the link for that, but, um, but what we do is the reason meditation is so powerful. And I've heard people say, well, I'm not good at meditating. And it's not about being good at meditating. What meditation does is it actually increases the size, the strength, and the number of folds in the prefrontal cortex, which is the area of the brain that is responsible for reason, rational thought, feeling like you're in control. And so it works on a dose dependent basis. And so the more that you meditate, the stronger that area of the brain gets and the stronger that area of the brain gets, the less susceptible you are to feelings of impulse. And so, so if you are somebody, I used to identify with somebody, I used to claim the label of being kind of, um, I was fiery. I was, I was not short tempered, but I could snap quick. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, somebody would cut me off. Somebody would cross a friend wrong. I'd be up. Like I was just, I had this fiery personality. Um, and I have since been able to train myself to respond rather than react. And it's all because of the meditation that I've done. And And meditation is not about not thinking about thoughts. The power in meditation is whether you're listening to, um, to a guided meditation or you're listening to music or you're listening, you're just trying to focus on your breath. What happens, the way that meditation works to strengthen your brain is when you're sitting there and your eyes are closed and you have 5,000 thoughts about what you need to do for the day racing through your head and you choose to say, you know what, I'm going to let that thought pass like a cloud floating by and I'm going to focus back on my breath or back on what the guide is telling me to think about or back on the music that I'm listening to, that act right there of detaching from a thought that came into your mind automatically and shifting the focus onto something else, the breath, the the guide, whatever, that is like doing a bicep curl for the brain. It's it's releasing detachment from a a thought and shifting direction. And every single time you do that, because you can meditate for 10 minutes and have, you know, hundreds of thoughts that you're starting to, that you cling to. Absolutely. So every single time you're like, Oh, I'm trailing down another thought and you release it and you come back to your breath or the guide. It's like, you're doing another bicep curl. That area of the brain is getting stronger. And so if you're not doing, and, and it works even more like doing it in the morning is like, being on steroids. (laughs) It it, it works even more. So, so meditation and a morning routine is really a powerful, tangible tool. It's not going to help 
if you do it once or twice, it's consistency over time where you will start to see impulsivity um, decline and what's known as your internal locus of control increase. So feeling a greater sense of control, which also contributes to feeling much more confident. So that would be essentially kind of like the retainer behind all of this, right? Like, I mean, I think of retainer in terms of like keeping things in place. So like yes. if, if if life starts to get out of control and things like this is your, this is your home base, this yes. is where you can come back to and reset those thoughts and reset that mindset and reestablish that unshakable confidence, those neurological pathways that you've worked on so hard. Like that's, that's where we can come back to. Totally. Meditation is is a practice that when life is craziest, we need to go back to it. But absolutely. But there's a lot of power in guided meditation that trains us to think in a mindset that we want to think in. And so while apps like, you know, Headspace and the Calm app and all of these apps are great. If you're trying to adopt a new mindset, then you want to have a certain guided experience. And so that's what I'm so passionate about teaching and why I offer this tool completely for free is because I want to teach the mindset. So when I'm leading these guided meditations, I'm influencing the way that you're thinking and ask, inviting people who are listening to adopt this type of mindset, to adopt this way of thinking. And so again, any type of meditation is great, but if you're trying to find freedom specifically in your relationship with food and body and confidence, which is what I focus on, then some of the things that I talk about in the meditation are really powerful because over time it becomes the new normal, the thing that you're thinking instead of some of these more self-sabotaging automatic thoughts. Absolutely. I I love that you say that because I'm not going to lie. So for me, my morning routine is very important to me, um, but it it can always area for improvement, right? So for me, I no longer sleep with my phone in my room. I have one of those um, alarm clocks where it mimics the sunrise. So so I love that. One of my best friends actually gave that to us as a wedding gift because I was really struggling with anxiety at that time. And I actually went and did... um, uh, neurological feedback, like the, the brain training. Yeah. So I did that for a good three months, uh, while doing therapy. And so after the wedding, she was wonderful, got me this alarm clock. So I no longer sleep with my phone in my room. So thankfully that's not the first thing that I grab because like you said, and I think within our line of work, you know, we initially think, okay, we have to hop onto some form of social media, some form of email, whatever it is. But I started noticing that, the influence I wanted to put out in the world, the message I wanted to impact other people with was pre-impacted by the time I opened up my phone because mm-hmm. what messages were other people putting out? What mindset were other people putting out? Were they negative? Were they positive? Maybe I was going through an emotional thing that day and I wanted to talk about it, but now I feel like I can't because it's a positive setting or whatever. So I was feeling very influenced before the day even started. So mm-hmm. thankfully, I no longer do that but I also am not doing something to better myself, if that makes sense, to grow. I'm, I'm kind of just no longer hindering myself, if that makes sure. sense. So no longer sabotaging, no longer hindering, but not growing. And then I love that you mentioned the apps because, oh my gosh, Jesse, I've sat down to the Calm <laughs> apps so many times and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is two minutes. No, this is 25. Like I'm miserable because I just can't, I can't do it. And I'm yes. used, I never use the word can't, but I literally cannot do it. And I think that's why I've been so discouraged with meditation. So I love that you bring that up, that yes. we all need meditation for different reasons. Yes. And there's different things going on in the brain. So like you said, 
food freedom, body freedom, confidence, that's what I'm trying to achieve before my day starts, right? Like if I can come from a place of confidence before I influence other people or before I talk to my husband, before I get on the phone with my mom, like I am a very empathetic person. I feel other people's energy, but I also am very aware that my energy is exuded as well. And I'm guilty of not going about my day with the right energy sometimes because I don't set it up right. And then it's really hard to switch that mindset once you're in that state of emotion. It's it's difficult. It's totally. like, okay, how do I get back on track? How do I get back to that place of positivity? So I love that that's something that you do recognize that we all need it to be a little mm. bit different, a little bit more catered to us. Mm-hmm. So within your food freedom coaching, I know right now you're doing it live, but do you have this every day? Like, is this something that is provided every day within the program? Yeah. So, so yeah, we, the, the morning routine is something that I teach and I teach how do we, how do we develop a morning routine that's right based on our current situation. So I'll do the guided meditation piece, um, um, you know, entirely free for anybody. And my clients use that same guided meditation as well, but there's other components of the morning routine, um, different techniques when it comes to future pacing. It's a journaling activity. That's super powerful. I teach them that and I teach them a couple other little techniques to utilize in their morning routine after, you know, the, the 12 minute meditation that I lead. So yes, it's something that I recommend doing every day. I personally do. I do my morning routine Monday through Friday. And on the weekends, I just let myself sleep in and relax, get up whenever I get up. And I just have a different energy that I go about the weekend with, but it is something that I believe with my whole heart and soul will fundamentally change anybody's life. If they start to commit to it, if you give yourself 30 days and you challenge yourself to do this guided morning routine that, you know, that uh, any type of a guided morning routine really for a 30 day period, you will notice dramatic, a dramatic change. But yeah, every, you know, everybody's in a different place in their life. And if you've tried the Calm app or the Headspace app and it just hasn't landed for you, then understand that these are very generalized approaches to meditation. We can narrow in on a a type of meditation that's very relevant to your, uh, your current situation and it can have way more of an impact. Yeah. I love that. And I also love that you said consistency is key, you know, and it's not a five day thing. It's a 30 day. Sometimes, you know, I tell people you'll hear like 30, 60, 90. For me, things are more like 91, 80, 360. I'm like, I need long. Like that's just, that's me as a person. That's me as in school, everything. So I love that you, that you bring that up. Um, just one thing that I would love for you to just, you know, I, I feel like I could just continue talking to you forever. Totally. But what is one piece of advice you could tell our listeners? And I mean, my girls are just so wonderful, but I would love mm-hmm. to know a piece of advice that for, for these girls to start appreciating and accepting their bodies. So I think that that's obviously a little <clears throat> bit different from starting the confidence, starting the neurological things. But yep. for anybody who's just like, I don't even know how to appreciate or accept my body. And I'm a big proponent of, I don't think you have to stand in front of the mirror and say, I love every single thing because I think that sometimes that might not be genuine, but I genuinely think we can look in the mirror and say, I appreciate this or I accept this. So yes, where would you say, you know, what would be your piece of advice for, for women to start or, you know, to Mm -hmm. actually, you know, appreciate and accept their body? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, shifting. I love what you said there about you don't have to stand in front of the mirror and love it. And if we can 
first recognize that getting to a place of confidence and self-acceptance starts with getting to a place of neutrality first. So if you are in a place in your body where for me, I was saying things like, I feel disgusting. I feel gross. I like, I hated the way that I looked. I was so deeply insecure. I was constantly picking apart my body. If you can, if you're in that place or you're in a pretty negative place, if you can start by not having the the target so far out of, I want to love my body. If you can move that target a little bit closer and say, well, can I first make it my goal to be neutral? Mm -hmm. to be neutral about my body. So can I look in the mirror and instead of hating it, can I say, whoa, 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 that, that energy is not going to get me where I want. So while I don't love the rolls or I don't love the cellulite or I don't love my size or I don't love this or I don't love that, I am more than that. That's Mm -hmm. just a component of who I am. There's so much more to me. I am multifaceted. And in fact, a common misunderstanding of getting to a place of body confidence is loving our body. Getting to a place of body confidence is recognizing we are so much more than our body. We are so Uh, much more than our body. (laughs) So an affirmation that one of the best affirmations around body image, the best affirmations for body image struggles are affirmations that take your focus entirely off your body and help you see more in yourself so that you can rise up and be more than an image in your own mind. So uh, an affirmation that I shared on my Instagram a couple days ago was, I am not only beautiful, I am so much more than beautiful. Or if you can't even wrap your head around the fact that you are beautiful and that just it feels so disingenuous. Just leave that part out and say, I am so much more than my body. I am. And then start listing things that have nothing to do with your body. So list a character quality, list, list your occupation, or maybe some of your roles, list an important relationship title. I'm a mom. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. I'm passionate about insert whatever. I'm important because insert whatever. I am safe in this body. I am more in this body. I am multifaceted. I choose to see more in myself so I can show up and be more. I love that so much. Hmm. Yeah. And it's probably, it's, you know, easier said than done, but it's a starting place, right? Like, yes. and I think that's so much more powerful than standing in the mirror and trying to sit there and say, I love my body. Cause that is not easy. That's not mm-hmm. something that a lot of us can do. So that's why I always, or I try to share with my girls, you know, appreciate the season you're in, but also take a step back and recognize what season are you in? You know, do you even know? Like so many of us are waiting for that next thing and we're in a certain season while you are waiting. So I just appreciate you so much. This is actually, I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I don't know what the heck my postpartum schedule is going to look like, but this is something that I want to take part in. And and you mentioned Mm. this is the the morning meditations in your Facebook group, right? So it could be something that you don't have to hop on live, right? It can be when your nope. morning starts. Okay. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Because I was like, oh gosh, Instagram, that's not going to work. But Facebook, yeah. that makes sense. Then anybody can hop in when when yep. they're ready. But for anybody listening, I will definitely put all of Jesse's information down below. But while you are with us, could you just let them know what is the best place to find you or yeah. how to get connected with you? I would love to get everybody to reach out to you if possible. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Carly. It's been such a joy to talk to you and somebody who's willing to be in the fitness space and kind of bridge that gap and have deeper conversations around food and body is something I certainly appreciate. And your energy is 
beautiful you radiate. So it's been an honor. And yes, getting um, where where do I hang out? I'm on Instagram at Jesse Jean, J E S S I J E A N N N. My website is risewithmeco.com, risewithmeco.com. And then, of course, I love hanging out on my podcast, the Dear Body Podcast. That's where I spend most of my time. And that's a great resource to start. The, the link to checking out the morning routine is on the risewithmeco.com website. So check it out. I would love to have you love to hear what you've thought of this talk. I am an open book. I always tell everyone that, you know, I, I know what it's like to be in the depths and the struggle, and I know how embarrassing and shameful it can be. And if you can embrace the courage to lean in, to reach out, to, um, to feel the fear and not let that stop you, there is so much freedom waiting for you on the other side. Oh my gosh. Honestly, you know, you thanking me, but I just, I can't thank you enough because like you said, I think we've both been within within this fitness space, but I think that there's a time now to bridge that gap between health and fitness and recognizing Mm -hmm. that they are two different things and physical health and mental health are also two different things. So um, I just love this and appreciate this because as my girls know, I'm on this personal journey. So (laughs) it's one thing for me to, to share you with all of them, but for me to be able to to absorb this is just so wonderful. So mm. Jesse, thank you so much. Again, anybody who is listening, I'll put all of her information down below. I'll make sure to grab that from her before launching all of this. But again, Jesse, thank you so, so much. You're just such a light and exactly what I think so many of us need to wake up and consume when we do mm. choose to be done with our meditation. So mm. everybody go thank check you. her out. Thank um, you so much, Carly. Yes. And to everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate all of you as you know, and let's make it a great day and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. Your continued support means more than you know. If you enjoyed today's podcast, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast, as well as screenshot this episode and share it on your social media. I would like to thank each and every one of you, as well as my editor and producer, Michael, for making this podcast possible. I appreciate each of you so much. And if you'd like to know more about me or follow me on other social medias, you can find me on all platforms at Carly Andell. Thank you again, and I'll catch you in the next episode.